this week's like episode. Last week when my mic. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> got him. Didn't know you were gonna go right then. Flawless timing, as always. Take two. Please proceed. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> it's a blooper reel. I'm keeping every second of this. This week's episode is brought to you by other interests, whether it's books, movies, hiking, video games, or just plain sitting outside and watching people. We here at Burgundy Radio certainly hope you have some, because otherwise, what a boring week. This has got to be one of the gutsiest clubs in the National Hockey League. It's a breakaway. McKinnon, pure guts. <laughs> they got nothing but guts. Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass, and look at the patient. My goodness. Guts all over the place. I can't believe it. And after 22 years. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for November 5th, 2018. Coming up on the show, we help our American listeners think about anything other than the election for a little while by trying to figure out what the hell happened to the Colorado Avalanche this week. But before we can do that, you need to know who belongs to the other disembodied voices this week, don't you? So say hello, as always, to Earl. Hey, Earl. Hello, friends. And joining us again, fresh from a football game, I believe, is Tiger Vixen. Hey, Jackie. Hello, they lost. I'm in a ranty mood, so you've been warned. And also joining us again is Rudo. What's up, Rudo? Vote Varley 2019, question mark. This week, Colorado only had two games on the schedule. I guess they decided to give us our money's worth for them, because on Thursday, Av score five goals and lose anyway to the Calgary Flames, 6-5. Vladislav Kamenev got his career first, shorthanded, very well done there, followed shortly by Sheldon Dries' first as well. Then more from Colin Wilson, Carl Soderberg, and a truly shameful collapse, followed by the too-little-too-late power play goal from Gabe Landeskog. Calgary scored five goals in the third on 11 shots. That cannot be good enough. Especially with the Avs putting up their own five spot, despite each member of the top line being held off the score sheet with a minus three apiece. But a lot of us counter that by saying the Avs didn't deserve to have their 4-1 lead in the first place. What do you say to that? I'd agree with that. Um, someone was saying that like Mac shot a puck at Mike Smith and he looked kind of, I don't know, goofus afterwards. And then they put in four goals on him in the second period. Um, I mean, it doesn't you know, take much to make Mike Smith look goofus. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, well, that was the first period where they got totally smoked, and then they got smoked again in the third, obviously. So um, that was probably lucky. And I don't want to take anything from Kamenev's first goal or, or Dreis's first goal even. you know, I mean, those were all, you know, th- there were some decent plays there. But um, I, I, don't, I don't think they deserve to be in that game as much as it looked like they were. You know, I'm actually going to disagree. I think the depth kind of earned this. Like I said, they were doing, I said last week, they were doing better than people thought. And then they kind of finally had a breakout. Yeah, that Soderbergh goal, the fourth one was a little bit soft. But I think the other three were just fine. Was that the one where Mike Smith went into a reverse vertical horizontal and then kind of went into like a sort of almost butterfly fall over on his face? Was that, that or was that the, (laughs) the, the Wilson goal? Yeah, that was well, the Wilson. Okay. The Soderberg one was the one where it was right to his chest and he moved out of the way and it trickled <laughs> through him. Oh, no, okay, yep. that's right, that's right, that's right. 
But I, I think the the offense was fine from the depth. I think they got deserved goals. Yeah, better goalie maybe stops some of them. But they put in good shots. They put in good plays. It was fine there. It's just that, one, the MGM line was non-existent that game. And two, the defense was non-existent that game. And we're used to Varley bailing us out, but he just didn't this time. Both I mean, the- he did for the first two periods. Well, sure, but not the third. Both of these games in Canada over the week were kind of like the twilight zone. So um, we really didn't get to celebrate after Soderbergh scored that fourth goal, which that should have been it because, yeah, four goals from the depth should probably win you a game. And and I know, like, they weren't controlling play. The shots were bad. The, the metrics were bad. But you're gonna win, you're going to win games when you quote unquote don't deserve them, I guess you could say like if you just say, Oh well, they didn't deserve this one you know, I mean they had the goals, like they they deserved it at that point. Yeah, I'm not saying they didn't deserve any of those goals or to have that lead. Um I'm just saying they 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 probably got a little bit lucky, um at, at least having that much of a lead. Yeah, that's fair. The Dry's goal was certainly lucky. Yeah. <laughs> I try to stay uh, out of uh, whether this or that lead or win or loss was deserved. Um, more along the lines of, like, Colorado didn't 4-1 outplay the Calgary Flames at any point in that game. Right. They should have won, though. I, I yeah. think they outplayed them pretty well in the second period. The second period was definitely the, the most even period. Yeah, and- I'd call it even. I'd, I'd give it the, to the Avs. I mean, the the big thing that outplayed them in this game, and we'll get into this more in the second game as well, is that quote-unquote second line of Dries, Wilson, and Kerfoot. That line won the Avs a lot of minutes, time, I don't know how to say it. That line was very good. Yeah, um, and that, I mean, it sort of harkens back to what the, you know, the, the Joe's Kerfoot uh, Wilson line looked like in maybe the first two or three games. Um, I, I, you know, I, I really like Sheldon Dreiss. I, I, I know it's sort of controversial. Some people sort of think he's, you know, he's a call up and he shouldn't be in there or something like that. But um, his shot metrics are fantastic as far as rates. I mean, <clears throat> he has the highest uh, individual Corsi. Um, four per 60 minutes on the team. Like he, he actually went above Sven who was leading the team um, over the weekend. So, you know, he, he develops a lot of of shots and scoring chances. And I, I think that's something that, that first of all, the, the staff is looking at for um, guys that they want to add to the team from the AHL. And I just think in general, that's something that they need um, when you have a, a you know a bunch of plugs that, that don't really create much, you, you sort of need guys like Dreis that can make up for that. Asterisk, it's a lot easier to maintain a high shooting rate when you don't play, you know, eight, ten minutes a night. Yeah. Right. Yep. And he gets good I mean, they, they definitely too. are they, putting they him shelter in a, him well, yeah. Yeah, they're putting him in a, in a position to, to do that. Um, but that's fine. I mean, it's like, you know, it's one thing to put a guy in a position to do that. It's another for the, the, the guy to sort of take that and run with it. Right. It's one thing to say that he's shooting more 
frequently than even Nathan McKinnon. And then it's a whole nother to actually use that as a direct comparison. It's more to say that Dries maybe could handle a little bit more of a role than he's been given. And it's not right. just that. It's it's seeing the chemistry. And I, you know, I tests it has its limits. But when you see him connect with Wilson and even Kerfoot as well, there's something there that we haven't seen a lot of in our depth lines. Yeah, I, I know what Earl's getting at. We need somebody that shoots the puck, that, that is kind of that volume shooter, like what Andrew Ghetto can bring. It's just, it's really hard to place kind of like where Dries truly fits in. And I totally understand rolling with the line while it's hot. But I also feel like, kind of like what you said, they were rolling with Jost earlier on. Like at the end of the day, Jost is the NHL player, and I think he's going to get that rollback eventually. But it hey. depends. I mean, it you know the, the one th- the difference between Dreis and Jost is that Dreis is actually producing. I mean, two games worth. Right, yeah. it's a start, two games worth you know? is more than Gabe Bork has scored, and more than Matt <laughs> Calvert has scored. So, yeah, that right. brings and me and to my Jost next subject, have... which is. That line was good in the second period, but the the Avalanche kind of ran around a lot in the first, like you would expect in a rust game. And then something changed in the third period, but after the second, and everything fell to uh, pieces, I think is the positive word for it. Well, Calgary's tr- truly becoming their kryptonite at this point. It th- That was probably the other worst game that they've played this season was against Calgary. And I even remember last year, it was not pretty either. I think one of their worst losses was if something like a 4-1 or 5-1 loss to Calgary. And that was, I think it was in late February. And I think that was kind of what set them into non-playoff mode when they went into the deadline. It's just... It, it's, I think it's the combination of the physicality and the skill and the speed that they just can't handle. See, I, I promise I'm going to be positive like after this point in this podcast. <laughs> but that, my, my one really big concern from this week is the Avs struggles against aggression on the forecheck. When the Avs yeah. feel pressure with the puck, it gets really ugly really fast. And they have to, I don't know if it's a systems issue or if it's just the players not being able to make decisions fast enough and you have to give them a simple out. But they have to do something about that or else it's going to continue being ugly because it looks like teams are figuring that out real quick. Yeah, they, they do not deal with puck pressure well. And another thing that I've noticed is that teams... <sighs> it, it looks like teams have looked at film and they're like, they always chip it here. And they're sitting there waiting for the puck when it gets chipped and it goes right back in the zone. And so it's like there's a a predictability element that goes along with not being able to deal with the pressure. Um, So I I think they need to work on sort of varying how they exit the zone or, you know, even how they just sort of try to chip it out of the zone. Um, Because it, it, it seems like teams have really picked up on that. And I noticed that in the Vancouver game as well. It's, so. it's it's not even variance. It's just use your eyes. Yeah. You have to look before you just shoot the puck blindly. Like, Yep. It always helps to look where you're shooting or passing the puck. <laughs> but, but in the third of that game, it was like the Avalanche stopped playing 
as the Colorado Avalanche and instead started playing as the five skaters that were out there at a given moment. There was I, it, it's I hard would to say talk they... about a system because it just eroded. Right, they stopped being the eighteen nineteen avalanche and started being the sixteen seventeen avalanche. What? That, that was the first we time people talk- have said that in two years that I've actually thought it made any sense <laughs> because they did look like there was absolutely nothing coherent happening on the ice. Sorry, go. Well, if we're going to talk about how they looked in general, I would say that you know things happen in games. Like they they'll lose games in the third period, like they did they did that last year, but. It, these two games felt like it, they didn't happen last year. It it felt more like, yeah, kind of like going back into the WA days or something like that, where it was just a lot, a lot more messy, a lot more fire wagon than I think Bender definitely likes, even though he said he didn't mind the Vancouver game. But maybe that's a little bit more of an overall thought. I mean, I think it didn't happen last year because we were never good enough to get a three-goal lead in the first place. But <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think this harkens back as much to the Wall era as it's sort of a... Um, I think they do want to open up play and, and use speed more than they did last year. And it's just, you're going to get these sort of messes sometimes. Um. And I, I think I know it looks awful, but it might be more of a good thing down the line, uh, no, just I'm, because I'm you need you to there, learn. Sure. Yeah. yeah, you need to learn to play with, you know, sort of being wide open and not trying to lock things down. And 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 that I think where you're getting to at this point is the player usage there. Yeah, that was kind of. Yeah, what happened? Ugh. Well, we saw at the end of the game two things really. One. When Bednar couldn't take it anymore, he he panicked back to the veteran line of Nieto, Soderberg, and Calvert, and that was after having four. right, and that was after having these lines totally separated. Soderberg was all over the lineup throughout the night, and when it came down to crunch time, he just could not trust the Dries Wilson Kerfoot line, who had dominated the game five on five. And then the other thing, which I'm a lot more forgiving about, is after the game got close, he started rolling out the top line repeatedly, and they continued to get just absolutely dominated. And I know it's hard to get away from your stars, but it was pretty obvious that it just wasn't working. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to tell him how to coach, but it's like maybe he was, you know, he, he, was, he probably wasn't looking for matchups as much as he had been before. And that was probably that, that was probably not the way they needed to go. I mean, I, I think at that point you really needed to try and find a, a good matchup for Max Line that could let them skate and, and score a little bit easier. Because I mean, you get beyond Calgary's second line, they're not as physical and, and demanding as they are um, with their top six. That was a, that was the game where he tried pretty much like every combination except for breaking up the top line, right? Yeah. So maybe he should have done that. Like no, that that night was quarantine the top line because they were bad. But move them, move them around. I think. I mean, he's going to use them anyway. Like if you don't use those guys, then you're using what Calvert the entire period. You. He did anyway. Well, yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not so much in this game, but spoiler. 
I would break out the top line, but within a game, but within a game, I think sometimes there could it could make sense, and I think in that game it could have made sense. But I think I mean, in do, talking about they the do use those guys on the lower lines a lot. That's the thing because they double shift all three of them throughout the lineup. Uh, they double shift Mac at center a lot more than the other two, but sure. Yeah, they do. Well, that's how you end up with a fourth line that has one player with 11 or 12 minutes and then two under eight. Right, and that's a problem all its own, but... Yeah, we'll get there in a minute. But the Calgary game, and we haven't even gotten there yet, which I think was the turning point, was the Ian Cole penalty and him getting kicked out of the game, which I yep. think both yeah. made it difficult for the Avs to roll out their personnel the way they wanted to, and also it gave momentum straight to Calgary, which it should have been the Avs' momentum right after that Soderbergh goal. It was... So, I'm not even mad about the five-minute major. Like, I was willing to accept that loss. (laughs) I am. But we came around last week to the idea that Ian Cole is a good defenseman on this team. And... Then you have to play the whole third period with five D-men. So I'm I'm hesitant to say that that was the turning point, but certainly not having him didn't do the abs any favors. Really I mean, it wasn't, wasn't just it wasn't I, the I mean, whole I, reason, but it it was just a huge difference in the game. Well, it's also and and you know, look, I'm not saying that that Patrick Nemeth is a panacea, but it's like he didn't have Nemeth or Cole. And those are sort of the standby, you know, lock it down guys. Right. There was a Basically. power. There's a penalty kill where the pairing was Barbario and Sam Gerard, and you're just going, right. oh no. <laughs> <clears throat> and those guys can be good penalty killers, but not in that situation. <laughs> right. That was also that that turning point you're talking about is when we started th- seeing things get a lot more scrambly too. And I wonder how much of that had to do with kind of a combination of the it's been a four day break, you haven't played an NHL speed, you know, since the beginning of the week, so things are a little bit out of sync and out of whack anyway. And now you've got a bunch of defenders playing on strange pairings because you're trying to compensate for a lack of Ian Cole. Uh, sure, I think it it was all a factor. I think the margin between winning and losing is just so thin. So yeah, once you're adding all these things together, it's all a factor. And and I know they only gave up one goal, I think, on that five-minute penalty kill. So they should have been fine with it, four to two. But just the momentum had started rolling the other way. This is This is another thing that we'll get into more in game two. But... Last year, if you go down a D-man, you just play Eric Johnson 45 minutes a night. <laughs> and you can't... We haven't really done that. I'm, you kind of can't do that this year. I mean, they played him a lot in that game. They did, but still, not as much as we were used to it, in previous yeah. seasons. Not as much it as you would like, even on a normal it, night last year. It wasn't like 27 or anything. Wasn't it still only like 22 or 23? No, it was 25 and a little bit of in all situations, but that was the first time he'd, I think he'd, he'd gone over 25 this season. So, um, you know, I, I don't know why, I mean, I, I hope I know why they're hesitant to do that because you really shouldn't play EJ more than 25 minutes if you can help it. 
um, but when they needed it, it just did, you know, it wasn't the cure. And again, I think, you know, it's like when you're, when you're trying to make a shutdown pair out of EJ and like Barbario, that, that, that gets a little bit tougher. Well, that other option didn't exactly end well, but we'll get there. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a whole lot of factors at play in this game, and and the one that we haven't even really touched on yet is um, it's hard to say, like, that any of the five third-period goals were necessarily, like, bad ones to give up, but you've got to get a save. I'd say there was one that was pretty squarely bad. Yeah. But... Yeah, you needed at least one save there. I mean, to to go down in regulation is just not acceptable from your goalie. No, and that's, I mean, that's obviously Varley's worst period of the entire season. Hopefully it's yeah, that and, way. Uh, right, like, if you look at the big picture, you say, all right, well, you know, you're not going to get absurd goaltending every night. The Avs are probably due for a bad one, but it doesn't make it sting less. No. Um... But it's not like they gave up five goals getting, you know, just a 20-shot period. It was 11. Yeah, right. But, I mean, the the attempts were, I mean, they blocked a bunch and stuff like that. I mean, they, you know, there there were some runs in there that Calgary had to make that go. And they Um, were definitely getting run over by that point. Yeah, sure. They were running around and floundering at that point. So, no, he didn't but, get much help for everyone saying, well, it's the team in front of him. Yeah, there wasn't a team in front of him. We know that very well. But you yeah. still have to be the guy for a reason. The unfortunate thing is that was the better goaltending performance of the weekend. Yeah, should, yeah. We, should we go ahead and, and move I, on to the other one? Sure. I, I'm done with this one. <laughs> yeah, I just say thank God they only pick Calgary one more time. So then on Friday, the Avs travel to Vancouver because that makes sense have a road back-to-back after the four-day break and right into another four-day break. So the Avs concede in the first minute. There's 14 total shots on net in the first period. And then all hell breaks breaks loose. Blake's loose? All hell Blake's loose. Dries ties it up. They give up another. Ian Cole ties it up with an absolute bomb. Where did that come from? Then they give up another. Then Nathan McKinnon ties it. Then Alexander Kerfoot gives the avalanche to the lead with just an incredible individual play. I... Okay, Alex, cool. Uh, the Canucks tied it before the period ended. Then in the third, Nikita Zadorov scores on the rush. The Canucks tie it again. McKinnon gets a second on the power play. And then Vancouver gets a last-minute six-on-five tying goal, which we'll get to. The Avs lost in overtime 7-6 because, of course, they did. They got outshot 7-0 in overtime. The Avs are a rotting garbage pile in overtime, and it's amazing they didn't lose there faster. What the I hell mean, was this game? And let me say, let me say before we get into it, this was a Tim Peel joint. And officiating didn't really have a big role in the game, but weirdness follows that man around the NHL. It's all I am, Yeah. No, I'm all about this game. All right? Erase the first period, but if I want to show someone how absurd hockey can be, that next 44 minutes or whatever it was into overtime is like... This is why hockey is awesome. Yeah, goals are awesome. But I I'm not quite with quite with you there on that that I was mean, fantastic. from a fandom, obviously I'm very frustrated with the Avalanche's defense and goaltending. <laughs> it was but exciting. If, I, if I'm a non biased member, that was some crazy hockey. 
I mean, there were there were a lot of good plays. There were a lot of nice plays. So it wasn't so much like just the complete ineptitude breakdown. It it, it was guys earning gold both on both teams. So that part's fun. Yeah, I mean, but, if it had ended up a six five win for the Avs, I would have been really happy about this game because it was fun to watch. I mean, you know, I, I hate to admit it, you know, the, the the Canucks have some good young talent that's fun to watch. You know, I think it's sort of a good matchup for the Avs as far as, you know, showing off that kind of talent around the league. So um, in that respect, it was fun. It just, you know, <laughs> if that last goal doesn't happen, it's a good thing. But Or if Matt yeah. Nieto hits an empty net. I mean, there's so, <laughs> like, we've talked about this before, but you can go through that third period and even parts of the second period, and there's about eight to ten points where it's like, if they just didn't do this one thing... And it's yeah, an outrageously the game. bad thing. It's not like, oh, yeah. they just shot it a half inch to the left. No, it's like, what bad thing? Yeah, <laughs> what were you even thinking level thing? Like, It's just, it's tough because we see how good parts of the Avalanche game is. All right, so the way I think about this is there's basically four pillars to the Avalanche winning a game, right? You have primary scoring, you have secondary scoring, you have defense, you have goaltending. Most teams, that pretty much falls in line with. If the Avs get four out of four, they're going to win every single game. If the Avs get three out of four, they're going to win most games. If the Avs get two out of four, it's pretty much a coin flip, and that's what they got tonight. They got primary scoring, they got secondary scoring. They had no defense, they had no goaltending, and it ended up costing them. This one I agree. was a little bit I different mean, in terms of the goaltending. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. the goaltending was almost like a minus one for this one. but yeah, cause... I, I think two pairs were good in that game, but not the third. I'm with you there, and, and <laughs> yeah. the whole swapping of the pairs is a conversation of itself. And the lines, but I think that's its own topic as well. So I, See, I, I watched this like... game solo and not with, like, like, the next day, so I kind of have missed out on a lot of this sort of analysis level stuff. Tell me which line you're talking about here, or which pair you're talking uh, about. The, the EJ Nemeth pair was okay. just downright awful. I mean, okay. that... I think EJ was bad, but he got the downside of being with Patrick Nemeth for the most part. Okay, now I've cut off Earl like three times in a row. Um, no, I liked those pairs, actually. I mean, obviously the, the EJ-Nemeth pair didn't work out, but um, I think Cole and Sam worked well together. Um, I, I know we kind of let, you know, it'd be nice if we could have Sam on the left side more or less permanently, but... Um, I don't think he did bad on the right side in that situation. And, and that sort of harkens back to the role that he played last spring um, leading into the playoffs and for the, the playoff games where he was healthy. Um, so they took a lot of defensive zone face-offs and, and sort of handled a lot of the defensive heavy lifting. And, I, you know, I think they did okay with it. I, I think with some practice, they'd probably be a little bit better. Yeah. Um, I think they very... came out pretty good in the, the shot or anyway right it's just you know it was their first game together and they hadn't practiced together so it, it, it was what it was um barry and zadorov got put back together like they were for just about all the the spring that was a thing and of beauty too. and they did fine they got about 80 percent offensive zone draws so they were obviously sort of being put in the position to be the offensive pair and, you know, I, I think that's a great way to use Barry, obviously. And I think Z kind of likes that role. 
And so, I mean, I, I, I'd be fine if that was a pair that, that sort of stuck together going forward. Um, I, I think those guys are comfortable with those roles and can be productive like that. And they're comfortable but, with each other. You know, yeah, exactly. And I think that's something that, you know, we've sort of said a whole lot in the early part of the season is it's, something's up with Barry and it just doesn't look right. It's not that it's not that Ian Cole's a bad player or a bad defenseman. It just it doesn't seem like they play off e- each other that well, or, or at least the same way that the Zadora yeah. and Barry it's did. It's just hard year. to I, find Barry a good match. I I agree one hundred percent there. I think Zadorov's goal at the start of the third period encapsulates it entirely, and how comfortable that pairing is for them with Zadorov just walking in and sniping. That's something yeah. we saw a handful of times last year, and up until that point, we hadn't seen it once from Z. And it's right. it's weird, because you expect Barry's partner to be a super defensive-type guy, but it's not really like that. It's, you have a lot more room to move with the puck when you have Barry also as a threat offensively. He seems and to do I, better with people that are moving and moving with the puck. And also, I think... You know, I know he he probably doesn't mind playing on the right side, but you know he was playing on the left side for pretty much the first full game this year. Yeah, the, uh, Bednar has except, given a lot of concessions to allow Patrick Nemeth to do things. Right, and it's like I, you know, I, I think the games that that Barbario and Z were together, they, I, I think they kind of switched off a little bit. But you know, when he's with Barry, you know, he's on the left side, and I just. You know, obviously that shot he took was a zone entry on the left side and came smackers and it's gone. Um, so I just, you know, I, I think it probably behooves the team to use him on the left side, uh, whether it's with Barry or not. It just seems like he's probably going to do a little bit better there. And, you know, I, I think you're getting the most out of both those guys when you put them together. Well, the thing I, is, it seems like they... <sighs> they can make two good pairs and there's always going to be one that kind of suffers. And it, it's kind of like you can use Sam and Zadorov and EJ, but you can't use them all as top four guys. So it's kind of like you have to pick which one is going to suffer. See, Right, and it's like I, that's a screwed deal on EJ putting him on the third pair and with Nemeth. But you know? I, I think they can make it work. Um you know, last year we had that weird rotation where EJ just kind of played with everyone. Yeah. And it's not ideal, but I think it functions. And yeah, that would be my solution, too, is like, obviously, you, you're not going to have EJ with third pair minutes. So if you wanted to keep those two pairs with Sam and Cole and Z and Barry, then you kind of work EJ in with everybody, which they've done that before, and maybe it could work that way. And I, I think the EJ Nemeth pairing was terrible in this game, but <laughs> it truly I was. think they can be serviceable because yeah. EJ was playing alongside Nemeth like he was still playing with Sam Gerard. Yeah, <laughs> and he just you just can't you just can't play with Nemeth like that. It doesn't work. Sam is very good at everything, and Nemeth is very good at one thing, and sometimes he's not even good at that. So yeah, well, we saw that a minute into the game where it's right, like EJ, yeah. EJ goes for a bender and then Nemeth left to get turnstiled. Um, and that happened later on a second time. Well, so it's just like, yeah, that that's one reason that didn't work out so well. But, you know, EJ and Nemeth have played before together and, and 
been okay. Um, you know, maybe get the the people in the graphics department to put them as the the top pair, and you know, maybe people will just sort of leave it alone. <laughs> <laughs> and I have this theory that the team does this on purpose when when they have they go into like the media blackout because they're traveling or they have a back to back or whatever, and they have no morning skate. It just always seems like they come up with the most exotic ideas when nobody has any idea they're coming. I think Bedner does it on purpose. He's like, nobody reported on my lines. I'm going to do whatever I want. And the team puts out their own lines, which are wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Because as kind of a bridge into the forward usage being just as bizarre as the defender usage, I thought AJ Greer was going to be scratched in this game. Because the the Avalanche website said he was. And then he (laughs) played question mark. Yeah. He He did. He existed. This this is the problem with games like this, where the Avs don't get out to a lead. Because Bednar will not take those risks of playing people he doesn't trust when there isn't a multi-goal lead and the Avs never had one in this game. So where you saw players like Dries and Kamenev play very well against Calgary because we got up to a multi-goal lead, you didn't get to see that with Greer because the Avs never gave him that opportunity. Well, I didn't think they wanted to give him an opportunity anyway. I mean, I don't think so either, but it's not for the same reason you do. I, I don't, you know, Bednar hates playing guys that don't practice. And it's, you know, I, I think he would have been fine if Greer had come up you know, a couple days before that trip and gotten a couple practices in, but that wasn't the case. Um, so it's like, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to guess why that happened like that. You know, I we know they have the first reward. Is the first I, I mean, reward. I, I think they needed Greer and I don't think they wanted to play Dano. So I think that's, you know, I think that's why he was in the lineup, but it's just, you know, I think Bednar would have been a lot more comfortable giving him more time on ice if he had practiced and, and been on, you know, been on lines in practice with guys. It's like, you know, he, he's being forced to play a guy that, that, you know, he can't just say like, okay, remember this drill, this is what we're doing in this situation, or just go for it. He just, there's no frame of reference. He hasn't had a practice with the team all year. But and... I guess technically isn't that why they're training camp and why allegedly they're supposed to play the same way? in Loveland is so that people could come in and not need that learning curve? Theoretically, yes. I I oh, feel I for mean, Greer. People. I do. And I really, really hope that he gets another chance, even though I'm concerned that he won't. But I, look at this in a positive light. The reason Greer got such limited minutes is because of how well Sheldon Dries played. Straight up. That's why. And the fact that that line with Dries is working so well is a really good thing for the Avalanche. Yeah, it's working I, so well that the forward who had the most ice time against Vancouver that isn't on the top line was not on that line. It was Matt Calvert. Well, Bednar has his issues. I'm, <laughs> there's no doubt about that. Uh, the, if we the had not, different segments, that would be a whole segment. Yeah, the not trusting <laughs> that line is a, is a serious issue. But the fact that the Kerfoot-Wilson-Dries line has looked so strong for the Avalanche is just such a huge boon to this team. I know that they didn't win these games, but if you get even league average goaltending, they should win handily with the offense from just that line and the McKinnon line. Like, 
It's really good. Well, just to to echo briefly, like maybe the loudest segment that AJ Hayfleet's recorded on the BSN podcast in a long time. If Grubauer picks up the puck instead of his stick, you're looking at a regulation win. Yeah, that yeah. goal was painful, man. <laughs> it it was it was made so much worse because he made such a good save like 30 seconds before. And then he does that and just, oh, there's so many things wrong with that play for Grubauer. I didn't, I mean, I just, I hated most of his game. I think, I mean, I, there, there are probably five goals he probably could have had. Uh, certainly three, at least. Yeah. <laughs> two, or, two or three are kind of howlers. Like, the, the, there were, there were t- at least two that were definitely howlers. But there's, there's probably a couple of others you could argue were in the area of a howler, too. Right. And, you know, it's like, wow, you made these two great saves, but you can't make the saves you're supposed to make, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's a little bit Jonas Gustafsson-y. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, he deserves the benefit of the doubt. He's not, he doesn't have the Stanley Cup winning defense in front of him anymore. And obviously what, what Varley wants to see is not the same thing that he does or that he's used to. So yeah, there's, there's some adjustment, but it just, you know, there were some pretty fundamentally flawed non saves there that, that are disturbing. And we can talk and about the, uh, the six, six goal in that kind of same light where it's, a, it's an adjustment thing where maybe Grubauer's not used to playing the puck with the avalanche and the avalanche aren't used to any goalie playing the puck. So he and Landis got get up in the same place. Like I want this. No, I want this. Hang on a second. Let's just throw it out in front. That'll work. Ah, <laughs> uh, I, I don't blame that one on Grubauer. I don't either. Landy's got to know the situation there, right? Like, even if it ends up in his skates and everything's terrible, there's 30 seconds left in the game. You pin that behind the net for 10 seconds and you win. Like, the fuck's good in job. My skates. Everything is terrible. Yeah, like. <laughs> Like, anything but blindly passing the puck directly to a uh, Vancouver player is, that, like, you win the game. Good was job. That I think that was Pedersen, right? Uh, yeah. I don't think it was. Was it Pedersen that intercepted it's, it's like it? like the worst possible place it could go. Yeah, right. Yeah. Anywhere but there. Like... like, you don't want the puck behind your own net. It's really dangerous for your goaltender. But then throwing it out, uh, out from behind the net into the slot to Pedersen is, like, worse so and i mean yeah. and the realization is like ha- has landy ever been in that situation before no <laughs> is he no ever way. the first player back right like is he ever with a goaltender who comes out and confidently plays the puck no right and so you know it, it's new territory a little bit and and that's why i'm so willing to shrug off shrug off the loss to vancouver is you know, you had a bad goaltending game. The defense and getting pressured with the puck is more of a concern, but you're going to win that game 9 out of 10 times with the goalies that the Abs have on their roster. I think there's a lot to take positives out of their last several games, but the reality is they've lost 4 of 5. <clears throat> it agree. is a reality, but with that, you you have to look at the ab schedule there. You get a back to back travel to Minnesota. That's a schedule loss. You get a D rust game Minnesota. against right. You get a D rust game against Calgary, which they should have won, but they lost. And I was pretty upset with that one. 
And then you have another travel back-to-back against Vancouver, which, I mean, I guess they should have won, but this was a much closer game. It was more reasonable to lose. And these aren't... And, and these teams are playing well. Like, Vancouver's not a doormat, but we're also not talking about, like, the top of the league really here either. Well, they played so, Tampa really well. And they didn't they did. score a goal. Nope. And, and <laughs> playing down to competition has been an Avs problem since 1995. <laughs> so that's nothing I new. Mean, technically, I mean, wasn't Vancouver leading the Pacific in, before going into that game? If not, they were close. I think I mean, they were. Like, Even well, the Pacific so, is a dump, so it's yeah, the Pacific's bad. No, oh, but I, I mean, taking them lightly or calling it easy, but I mean, it, it's still a young team, and supposedly the right. Avs are one step past that. They're supposed to be able to take advantage. The feel you got, especially after that Kerfoot goal to go up four three, was very, very similar to the Ottawa game. With a competent goalie and competent defense, the Avs just take over the game, and it's an easy 6-3 win, just like Ottawa. But the defense and goalie wasn't there, so. Right, but I mean, I think, I mean, Jackie's point is important that, you know, they're playing well, sort of, in some of these games, but, you know, they really have lost four out of the last five, so, um, you know, you you can't continue to just give away wins like that. Um, you know, I <clears throat> I'm That's... glad to see that 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 the scoring is is not dropping off. Like if they're losing all these games like five to two or something like that, um, right? Then 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 we're really starting to panic. But um, you know, it's it just sort of like a bad goalie performance. If if you get one of those saves, it's not so bad. Um, if you win one of those games, it's not so bad too. Um, you just sort of if you're if you're a good team, you're gonna be, be you're gonna pick up more points than you did over that stretch. You know, I I don't know if I'm sold on that. On that, I think the Avs are a good team, and yeah, they had a cold stretch, but they put themselves in a situation where they could afford to have a cold stretch. They did, now, and uh, right, obviously. You need better goaltending. That cannot continue. If that continues, they have a real problem. But it's not something that I'm worried about. I know, at very least, Varley is certainly better than that, and I'm confident that Grubauer is better than that as well. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's yeah, they're a good team. It's it's time to have the conversation, but let's not worry. Let's not give up on the guy. Sorry. Yeah. Well, two things here. One is they are a good team, but they're a bubble team, and that that's kind of like. Like you said, you played well, but then you had that cushion, and then you're going to slide back down. Well, that's where they're going to be, is like on the bubble. I, I don't know that they are a bubble team, and it, you know it might not even really be their doing. It might just be because the Pacific is terrible. But I, I think they're better than any team in the Pacific is going to be. They're certainly better than St. Louis. So their only real competition is Dallas. I I struggle to worry about Dallas given their back end. I struggle yeah. to worry about Dallas. <laughs> and I think I mean I think Chicago smoke and mirrors at this point too. Oh, yeah. Um even even if Crawford comes back, I just you know, I think that's yeah just I'm a little bit too much yeah, I think it's a little too much to overcome. I'm not really worried about that. Also, I mean you, you kinda look at like the Avs were under five hundred for one one period or you know one stretch last year it was one game and it was in 
uh, I think it was the 7th or 8th of December last year. So uh, having a little bit of a cold spell right now isn't the end of the world. Um, there's still a couple games above 500. Um, you know, it, it's not a big deal right now, but it's just, you know, you want to turn this around pretty quick. You do. You do. I, I'm with that. I, like, I understand that the back end for the Avs itself needs significant improvement, but the Avs don't win games by shutting teams down. They win games with good goalie performances and offense, and the offense is there. So, with McKinnon scoring, with this new second line looking like it's going to be able to continue its offense, I'm I mean, just, I hope I, I'm hard to see any lead. worry. Like, it's hard for me to see issues with the Avalanche, assuming the goaltending gets back to where it should be. I think at this really point, the, the top line it has proven it's going to produce. It might not be every single game, but... I think at this point we know it's legitimate. But that second line, I'm, yeah, it's fun right now. And I think they've had some good, good parts with Kerfoot and Wilson earlier. But, I mean, counting on Dries to hold up the pillar of the second line is, is um, probably a little too optimistic. Plus, when they get people back, when Jost comes back, if Andrew Ghetto comes back off of his mystery i mean we need to talk about that how the guy has a lower week-to-week lower body injury and then he's working out with children that day <laughs> is a little bizarre yeah it's fan yeah. is an enigma so whenever he gets back so we don't even know what the real problem is like it just seems very bullshit i guess but so that means that he could be back at any time and then there's comfort. It does seem like a long-term thing at this point, but but you never know with concussions. It can go quickly either way. Like the the roster is, it's still kind of ordered by pedigree, and you know, Dries is probably going to be the easiest one to kick out. Plus, we still have to figure out: are they going to do anything with Kamenev, or like how invested are they there? Because I, I feel like they do want to give him a chance, but like I mentioned, if these guys, if even Jost and Andrew Ghetto come back, it's going to bring up some real questions. It, it is going to bring up some questions, but I think the current Dry's line is a proof of concept. What we have here is the nail in the coffin of Bednar finally starting to realize that he can't just roll out the shutdown veteran line every minute of every game to get wins. You have functional players that can play offense and help your team. And it's undeniable right now with that line that that's what's happening and you have to sacrifice the veteran line to get it. And that is maybe the most important thing to take from this season for the Avalanche, I think. Well, I think it's a little too early to say that Bednar is going to let go of that crutch because we also need to talk about what he did with the lines in the Vancouver game. He actually started the game with Kamenev between Calvert and Nieto and put Soderberg on the fourth line, but that didn't hold through the game. He switched it back to how it was. No, I I understand that, that Bednar still falls back on his crutch, and guess what? We lost the game. It's the... The crutch line isn't helping them, and if the Dries-Wilson-Kerfoot line even functions for another week, I think that even Bednar is going to realize that 
the veteran line isn't the way to go. I just think that's a lot of projection because right now there's no evidence that he's going to do that. It, it was at least an, an interesting sign that he was willing to start a game without Soderbergh centering that line, but you just knew if there was any, if we saw this coming and had days to think about it, we would have said, like, there's just no way that's going to hold where Kamenev's going to center that line for a whole game. So I mean, I, like I wouldn't want Kamenev on that line anyway. Yeah. That's it, dead weight on no both of his wings. But... It's just as soon yeah, as the game it... went wacky, Bender falls back to his old faithful. And every coach has their players, their line that they trust. It's just that this is the wrong players on the wrong line to trust. Yeah, right. it, and, it's like what you said earlier, is that he should have trusted that second line was doing well and winning their matchups. He absolutely should have. Using and, it. But and the, the so, I guess the solution is, yeah, sure, maybe I'm projecting there. But if he's not willing to do that, then we have a legitimate gripe against that line, right? I just yeah. feel like that line's eventually going to have Jost back on it. So, I mean, maybe maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. I mean, I don't, I don't as long as they're producing, I don't think they're going to change anything of, on that line. Of course but not, thing- but I mean, if they if they literally are scoring one goal every game, of course not. A coach isn't going to change that. But, I mean, let's be realistic here. When it stops producing, like we thought it, it was a great line when when it was producing, when Jost was on there to start the season, and then when it stops producing, what's the next idea? Well, I, I mean, I, I think you can replace you could you could replace either of the wings on that line with other guys in the lineup, and it probably <clears throat> could end up functioning the same way. I, I think the concept is what is the good thing is that you can have a line like that that produces offensively that you can play a lot. And I mean, I, I really do think that Kerfoot is a big key to that. Um, I think Wilson's playing well now. You know, he hasn't really shown that he can do that consistently uh, over weeks or even months. So, you know, maybe that changes. Dreis is an unknown quantity, so maybe that changes. But I, I you know, I think what Ruto is alluding to is that you know the the concept works is that you you can put a yes. line like this out and it forces the hand of the other team more than you know putting Carl out with two plugs. But it's not really a revelation until he can use that line to win a game. I mean, it's nice that it works, but then it goes back on the shelf. Well, ideally, you don't give up a bunch of bad goals and you have a three-goal lead at crunch time, so it doesn't matter who you play. But, but you know, he had done that earlier when Joseph's on that line where they were um, you know, winning the shot share, but then they wouldn't play late in games, even if they were playing very well in that particular game. So I, I think maybe it's something they'll work towards, but I, I still think they need to take a major step to get there first. Right. They were playing in the third period against Vancouver, at least. I mean, they did play, play the other two lines. <laughs> well, you, you can't. I mean, not playing a line that has Calvert and Nieto on it seems okay. And I the idea was Cam, that Kamenev but... was supposed to be on that line. And the ironic thing is, is because he scored the goal on the penalty kill that they put that line out right after, put dries on it, and he scores immediately, then Kamenev's line's gone. And 
And I don't blame Bettner because, like I said, if you're scoring goals, you're going to stay together. But then <laughs> that becomes like, now what's the plan with Kamenev again? It's apparently it, not to kill penalties, despite the shorting. Yeah. I mean, Kamenev's <laughs> usage sucks. It does. I'm not going to deny that. But if the sacrifice of Kamenev getting a little bit less usage is what it takes for Bednar to realize he can't just roll Calvert and Nieto, then I'm going to live with it. I just know that this game against Vancouver was absolute, unfiltered chaos, and that goes beyond the actual action on the ice, because when I looked at the time on ice after the game, you could see the first line, you could see AJ Greer, and you could see Kamina, but other than that, I had no idea what the lines could have possibly been, because it was just a bunch of forwards with the same, roughly, ice time. I, it's impossible to tell which line was which which tells you know we're we're sw switching things up constantly we're trying to you know use everybody and it's not like there's not situational usage that makes any sense yeah i don't know at 5v5 it, it actually it laid out pretty good um one thing that i've noticed is that calvert can't get get off the ice and he, he yes. ends up taking a lot of long shifts and that's one thing that skews his ice time. And it also, like, you know, it's idiotic that he's on the power play, but that's where he got three and a half, four minutes. Oh, so, that made me want to scream. It's like, all right, let's, we have yeah. this, this role on our power play, which is stand there and do nothing. And so we give it to the forward that has, like, no hands and no offensive creativity to, to make something work out of that spot. Okay. Just in case you thought that they might pass it there. <laughs> Just in case of any accidents. And then they did, and he lost the puck, and it was terrible. And the, the pass sucked too. Let's, let's, yeah. let's but not we also that must one. mention the another surprise Bednar decided to roll out was he actually put Gerard on power play one. Yay! After it worked, I yeah, pounded the table about it for six months. It finally happened, and, and it was wonderful. Yeah, and it's for Peter McNabb. Junk, but. The yeah. one that was later in the game when we're nice. I don't think Gerard had much to do with that. Oh. I, don't get me you. wrong. Like, I know. I'm ready. I'm ready for the <laughs> onslaught. But don't get me wrong. If if Gerard's standing at the point yelling at them to get it deep is what it takes, then I'm for it. But, yeah. but what functioned there was the Avs put the puck down low and tried to work it down low. And that's what got him a goal, and that's what's got him a goal on their last three power play goals. So you got to just line those tapes up on the practice squad and go, look, when you get the puck off the perimeter, good things happen. <laughs> See this? Do this! Yeah, at least he didn't try to stop the pass between Mac and Miko like Calvert did on the, goal, on the goal that Miko scored. So... There's st we've been yelling about this game for I think at uh, 30 minutes maybe more, and and here's <laughs> because the thing. so much insane stuff happened. Yeah, and and you yeah. know what else? We're not done <laughs> because overtime <laughs> happened. Yeah, yeah. This team. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> like, well, well, we'll talk about it for you. This team has so much talent up front, just wrapped up into a couple of guys. And they should have all the space in the world to do whatever they want. And they get into overtime and they get zero shots on goal in about four minutes. 
And uh, they find... that's unfair. They end up with a they are landing at the post. Yeah, yeah they okay. got a clank out. So of they it. they got point five shots on goal. They end up with just disastrous overtimes every time it happens. We say if you're gonna lose, lose in overtime, but that doesn't mean every time you go to overtime, please lose the game. The funny well, thing is they used to be good in overtime. <laughs> they they were good in overtime while overtime was new and not solved by coaching yet. And I think they just went out and they <laughs> did, and now they overthink it way too much. I thought this overtime was fine. I think fine. they underthink it way too much. <laughs> no. I, I thought this one was fine. I think their offense was pretty junky. But they made they had two brain cells. Like they yeah. when they were changing, they circled back and held onto the puck. Like pretty basic stuff they were doing. Well, that was Landy, super encouraging when McKinnon skated it all the way back to the other blue line. It was like, oh, you you know you can do this. Good. Right. Yep. And and you know Landy probably should have scored on that one that hit the post. Which I I put this in my video. The Abs have nine bad posts this year. A third of them have come in overtime. Mm. So, you know, that's three times that they just about won the game, but didn't. And it's... The offense is still messy. It, they don't really... They It seems like they're so afraid of giving up a rush the other way, they're not willing to commit to the offense. And well, then Sam won't... Gerrard jumps on the ice and commits to the offense and immediately gives up an on-man rush. But what are you going to do? It's like they won't make plays to each other because they're so right. scared of giving up the puck. Yeah. They're that's... all trying to make individual plays, and the whole point of overtime is getting that that mismatch where you can do a two-on-one and and make a play. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it. for me, overtime, the best thing you can do in overtime is, is little give-and-goes and, and you know, two-on-ones like that. And it just seems like that's... That's not something they do, you know, even during regular time very well. Um, so I, I don't know if it's a personnel thing or it's just that's not part of their offensive repertoire or what. But um, it's Unless sort of hard you're to Calvert turn that and on. Nieto trying to make tic tac toe plays. Right, they're good at that. <laughs> but I mean, it, it felt like this overtime was making progress until you know they got a partial breakaway and you get Tim peeled on a call. Yeah, and that was it. Uh, it's it, it it's hard for me to call that getting Tim peeled. I mean, it looked like a penalty. Uh, yeah, I I'm not arguing that it's not a penalty. I'm arguing that the way they had called this game in regulation, they shouldn't have called that in overtime. I think they should have called the embellishment when you see how high his heels come up off the ice. But it's still yeah, uh, that's gonna get called. Like that that's gonna get called. I. See, the thing for me with refs is all I want out of them is consistency. Good luck. I know. That's <laughs> a, I know it's an impossible ask, but they really let this game play in regulation. They had to call that Cole penalty because that was just the stupidest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and then he was but, like, really? Like, and yeah. I say the same thing to you, bud. Yeah. <laughs> you crushed like his face into the post. What do you want? <laughs> but outside of that, the refs really did a good job of letting these two teams play, I thought. I guess the Landy call was a little chintzy. But No, that was legit. But it just it stinks when you have a borderline call in overtime and you have to 
deal with it. And I right. get it, maybe it was the right call for the time, but it just didn't seem to align with the rest of the game for me. I guess. It, it is basically giving the game to another team. To one team or the other to, to call in overtime, but there'll be way worse ones this year to complain about. So yeah, I, I, I Luke give kind of a lukewarm agreement on that right. one. Like, I'd, I'm, f- I'm not going to complain about it. It's not worth the effort to go any deeper than we already have. Yeah, and it's and it's like Professor Oak, our, our friendly site writer, likes to say. I mean, calling a penalty is handing an opportunity to a team just the way that not calling a penalty is depriving them of an opportunity. So, like, even yep. by not calling a penalty, you're still influencing the game by trying not to influence the game. But no, I agree yeah. that this overtime showed some signs of life and went in the right direction. Um, but still, you can't get outshot 7 to 0.5 in overtime. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it doesn't give me any hope Like, if, if this happens in the next game that, that they're going to be any better. I'd, it, I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess I just viewed this overtime as it never should have happened in the first place. No, of so. course not. It should, that should have been 8-6, to six, or... 7 to 5 on an empty netter. I still have hope because they used to be good in overtime and they should have the skill advantage. But, you know, they'll, they'll figure it out. At least, I think they didn't start with Barry again, so maybe they are getting... Yeah, they started with Gerard, so maybe they are getting the clue don't start with Barry. They didn't roll out 2D either, so progress. Right. <laughs> So, what do you say we take a little break from talking about the Avalanche and instead talk about the LA Kings firing their coach today? Yeah, that's that's weird. Um, I really like Stevens, actually, too. Like, he was one of the people I was looking at when the wall left. And he even had a really good year last year. He got the Kings of the playoffs last year. And then this disaster of a start for them for... I really don't know how much effect Stevens had on it, and he gets his head chopped off. Yeah, this is kicking your dog because you got fired from your job. Um, You know, this is a case where you have a team that's just not put together very well, and... Nope. Rob Blake was saying... Yeah, Rob Blake was saying your best guys have to be your best guys, stealing one of Joe Sackick's best lines. And, you know, he th- he thinks that a retread like Willie Desjardins is going to do something that, that Stevens didn't. And, you know, I, I just I don't think there's much you can do about it. I think he's in a situation kind of like Joe was, where at the beginning of the lost season, you're kind of looking at the lineup like, <laughs> this, this just isn't going to work, is it? And, you know, <clears throat> there's there's not a lot you can do about it at this point. You know, you, you can't change your whole team. Like, I don't think there's much they can do about it next summer even. You know? Um, I know they sent Kempe down. Is he still in the AHL? Like, they got rid probably. of They had some young players. Like, they sent Anderson yeah. Dolan back to the WHL. Yep. They sent Kempe down. <laughs> like, yeah, they they doubled down on old and bad, and it's just, <laughs> I, I, I thought that was hilarious when they sent Anderson Dolan down because it's like, all right, you know, 
I mean, he wasn't dominating play or anything, but you know, it, 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 you, you don't you don't keep a guy like that because he's dominating play. You keep him because like, hopefully by February, he's going to be a big part of your lineup. And it's like, he's not going to be a big part of your lineup if he's in juniors. Sorry. If you just heard me gasp, it's because I'm, I'm keeping an eye on draft watch at pretty much all times. And the Ottawa senators have snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. They were ahead <laughs> with like three oh, minutes. Did to they play, blow it? Three to two. And they've lost four to three in overtime. Nice. Oh, they still got a point, but it's not two. Yeah. yeah. I'm about that. The it's, Ottawa Senators collapse continues. You know, we talk about the young and fast versus the old and slow all the time, but it truly is. Like, you can look at the teams that are playing more young players and see them improve. Like, yeah. it's just, it's, it's almost past just, like, meme level at this point. Like, like Ottawa, for example, they're not completely god-awful because they play some kids. Like, just like Vancouver. The reason yeah, why they're better. Say, Vancouver is a great example of that. Right. And they have all of them on one line. They have Besser and Pedersen and I think Goldobin all on one line. And that's one of their top lines and they're winning with it. it it's, it's almost like it just a completely. <laughs> it's just like a no brainer at this point. Like every team that isn't doing well should be thinking just it's going to go the other direction where it's just like no matter what, we're going to start playing young young kids because that's how you win in this league. And it, it's like the teams that have figured it out have this competitive competitive advantage right now, but it's going to be soon where everyone figures it out. Right. Yeah. Teams like Tampa of the last couple of years and now Toronto and yep. it looks like Vancouver's figuring it out. And that's why Vancouver's surprising so many people is because we, we didn't expect to get an explosion from, from Besser and Patterson specifically. Yeah. I mean, you look at it, and almost every surprising team in the league has gone extremely young. Yeah. Even, even like Arizona, who everyone hates. Boom. Or just me. Um, just me. It's okay. They've. And I, I know this is a bad question to ask this group, but you know, how much of this is playing the young kids actually? And and you know, I know that's a huge part of it. But how much of it is not being locked into a lot of guys that are really old, like the Kings are? Like, you know, yeah, it's that's like getting, a lot of getting it. rid of those guys. Right, right. Is is it the young and negative fast? worse than the positive <laughs> that you get from the you, kids? You yeah. don't have to have the conversation of, well, we're paying Matt Calvert two point eight million dollars, so we can't take him out of the lineup. If someone's yeah. playing bad, you can bench him for a game, and nobody cares. And you've got or is roster flexibility too. And you and by giving yourself that roster flexibility, you are getting rid of players who are not helping you as much as other players maybe could. Or is it getting rid of apathy and complacency? You know, that's also what you get with old. You get leadership, experience, and this and that, but you also get routine. Those things. For lack Joe Sack, if you get a Matt Molson. <laughs> when you bring in the old leadership guys you don't get that fantastic play between uh, Besser and Pedersen where they launch the puck off the end boards and go get it at about the dot and to your point during the game in... um, or, or while I was watching the game I guess Jackie I guess Sam Gerrard has tried to do that Like he did I, I remember it was against Chicago but the, and you need your younger players made... to create things like that Exactly. Try things. And especially in the, when they're in the roles where they can do that, where they can take chances and, and not get benched for it. And 
And that's where you're seeing success. Like e- even Buffalo is a little bit better because they finally have a core of young players. It's, it's just, it's just so funny that it's just so obvious at this point that that's what teams need to do to kind of take the next step in, in the league right now. All right. Here's a fun counterpoint to that though. Um, a lot of people were really worried when the Avs signed Ian Cole, that that was getting old and bad. They underrated Ian and, Cole. I guess that simple. Well, it just, I think it's, he brings an enthusiasm yeah. and a zest for the game that, that, you know, it, he, he hasn't lost his youthful exuberance, let's say. Um, and and he even forced a younger player down the lineup in Nikita Zadorov. I mean, that was political. So here's the thing. (laughs) As much as we love to pan the Av scouting, Ian Cole was good scouting. And I I was one of the people who wasn't convinced by Ian Cole. But once you got to see him on the ice with the Colorado Avalanche, he brings something that nobody else on the team does. Yeah. And that's getting away with playing dirty. Yep. But uh, I mean, the... <laughs> it's not true that nobody else does it because Gabe Landeskog is on this team. But he doesn't get away with it. Sometimes he does. <laughs> I think he does. No other I think he gets away with a lot of stuff. No other defender. On TV. A, a, well, here's how I feel about Cole. Is I mean, it's early and it's three years. We're gonna see how he looks mm-hmm. right. as that the... contract ages. But yes, he is an definitely an NHL player. He's a top four defenseman. He. He does help their depth. And I the think lineup. he's still squarely a number four. He just does things that others don't. And yes, that third year is still a big question mark. It's just yeah. that they haven't figured out how the Gerard, EJ, Zadorov, Cole thing is going to work. But but yes, he's someone that they need and they can use. But All right, so... the point I'm trying to make with the Cole situation is... Los Angeles is stuck with a bunch of guys that aren't Ian Cole, and yet the Avs picked someone who's 30 years old and are getting, you know, a, a good year, you know, starting out so far. Well, um, not all old people are worthless. I mean, <laughs> Soderbergh. There's a quote of the day. Title. Title. <laughs> so um, Soderbergh's a value member of the team. Like, yeah, I, I get it. You can't play an entire lineup of 20-year-olds. You have to have you guys that... Well, they probably wouldn't win that much. It'd be fun. They probably wouldn't win that much. The problem with older players is it's harder to detach from them. If Soderbergh yeah. was really bad right now, his contract would be an absolute disaster. Thankfully, he's not. And that's what yeah. makes it okay. If Tyson Jost sucks right now and you bench him for a game, fine. <laughs> well, I'll say there's political reasons there. I mean, you just... <laughs> you have to follow the money and the pedigree when you look at every single player and why they're on the roster and what the coaching staff's motivation is, what the front office's motivation is. So... There's political reasons for a lot of this stuff. But yeah, getting to the point is every team could use a good bet. I don't, I don't think anybody disagrees with that. But it, it is these teams that have married themselves to the bets. A lot of these guys right. are free agent signings too. Yeah, yeah. The, the problem with LA is they were old and their big move was let's go sign Ilya Kovalchuk. 
yep. also old. And, <laughs> and, you and, can you're, say, and like, you're looking down that roster and you're like, boy, I sure hope Quick pulls this out of his ass again this year. And, then and you now, can say, boy, the abs were smart to stay away from making a lot of those signings. It also could be that a lot of those players wouldn't sign with the abs. Also true. We don't know who they went after. We'll never know. But we, Better we that do we know, don't, maybe. <laughs> what we do know is that LA have uh, nine points and are tied for last in the National Hockey League with Florida, who have played two fewer games. So, and they're they're on pace for twelve more goals than the Avs had in the loss season. They have twenty eight goals right now. That's not yeah. Good. With quick being ded dead, it's not going to get any better for them either. So yeah. Um, yeah, the goaltending is a big issue there. But the the purpose of bringing up the uh, the LA Kings coaching change and just a wider angle on the league in general is to step back and say, yes, we've been extremely negative about some certain things today. But the Avalanche still stand right now in the top wildcard spot in the Western Conference. They will probably fall out of the playoffs before they play again just because other teams are going to play games. But then Colorado will have games in hand and be right there with with the opportunity to bring themselves right back into it. There's a lot of things that we would like to see differently, but it's still like it's, we're still right about where we expected to be and where we wanted to be. Sure, it's still a great start, and I think they're still a little bit better than I expected. They've got a plus twelve goal differential, which is good for best in the West amongst teams that aren't called Nashville, who have a one o four something PDO, I believe. So that goal differential is going to change. And the best in the East is plus 11. So, I mean, there's there's still a lot going on just even in, you know, point-by-point point results, too. Not that goal differential means everything. Arizona are out of the playoffs by three points right now, and they're plus 11. <laughs> and uh, isn't... I think the Pacific has two teams that are either negative or right at zero, or at least they were earlier this weekend. The Pacific... Numbers or teams number one, two, and three's goal differentials are plus two, minus three, plus three. Yeah, that's Calgary, <clears throat> Vancouver, and Edmonton. As of eight fifty one p.m. Sunday, eleven four. Um, none of those teams play tonight, though. So by the time you listen to this, it'll probably still be true for once. Um, should we look at stars and scratches? Sure, I'm ready. Who's your stars of the week of the two days? Of the pre-weekend. Who's your stars of, of those games? Alex Kerfoot. Easy. Backflipping. Home run. I know second. everyone likes to talk about how he gets the cheapy secondary points, but you'd look at the Avs statistics, and he's the fifth best scorer. You have the MGM line and Tyson Berry as the only players with more points. He is the depth production right now. Hey, I've always been on the curve train. so Especially with Wilson and Dries, though. He has really elevated his game in these past two and he looks to be what the abs have been missing, as long as you don't play him as center. <laughs> Just don't play him at center, and he is the depth production that we need. We center on that line. Yeah. <laughs> He's not really, though. Like, everybody takes the face-offs. Wilson is the F3 in the defensive zone on that line. It's just, that line is center by committee, so... Maybe that's why it works. Maybe so, because we like Kerfoot in the middle, but but we don't necessarily like him so much with center responsibilities. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's the rotating center thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that goes back to the, you know, sort of the chemistry that, you know, 
that and he and Wilson have had pretty much the whole year. Um, you know, it doesn't always show up on the score sheet, but I think they've they've had some of that chemistry uh, outside of the offensive zone for most of the year. So, you know, regardless of whether it's Dreis or, or whoever it ends up being long term, um, you know, I, I I think that that Kerfoot's a big key to that because he seems to be sort of the catalyst for the offense. And that's my star selection for the week is going to be Sheldon Dries simply on the back of his first two NHL goals. Well done there. And a sweet yeah. assist to Willie, too. Oh, yeah. yeah, that assist was his best play, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Continue. I'm giving my star to Miko. He's still leading the league in scoring. Well done there. Yep, sure. 24 three. points in 14 games. His three assists in the Vancouver game. The the one that he made on, I think it was, I think it was the Cole goal where he pretty much brought the puck into the zone. All five Canucks were looking at him, mesmerized. I like the McKinnon yeah. goal one better, but yeah. But I still think, I think Miko is the star of the team at the moment. Yeah, he's their best player, I would say. I don't know that I would call him their best player, but I would say he's he's had the most impact right now. I um, I mean, I who's better? I guess. I mean, McKinnon is clearly better. I, I don't know. I don't think I, he I is think right getting, now. Yeah. I think, I think we're right getting into a fair debate. Well, not for today because we're already starting to stretch <laughs> a little bit. Um, but Ranson has had much better like impacts and results recently. But I still think that the, like the skill set is still going to come down to Nathan McKinnon for now. I I don't I don't know about that. I think it eventually will. Um. So we are looking for Earl. Did you have somebody separate? As I make no. a random racket. Sorry. No. Nah, Kerf and Dreis were going to be my oh. picks. Okay. So scratches. Um. We're going to take Tim Peel off the list. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. I um, mean, EJ. nobody wants to take the easy one. I was going to... I'm nominating Mac for a scratch. Okay. Uh, um, I could be down with that. I don't know about that. <clears throat> I, it's it's not a scratch in relative to a, a good player in the NHL. I think it's a scratch for him. Okay. Um, I, I just... You know, he's definitely producing. He's producing shots at an amazing rate, but I, I just... I don't like his play basically all year. I think it's been very selfish. And, um, you know, I, I think until he starts involving other guys on the ice more, um, that he's, you know, he, he's going to continue to be frustrated because he's not getting the opportunities that he used to because he's, he's not involving the other, guy, the other four guys on the ice as much as he did last year. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think it goes back to camp. It's just like, it's like this impatience. Like, he just wants to have 90 points already. Like He's just, you know, why aren't we there yet? It's just, he's not getting into the process, which it is amazing that that line has still played so well. He's produced, everyone's produced, but but I completely yeah, agree. Yeah, he's at a point and a half a game, so it's like, it's not a big problem, right. but... You know, I'll throw him on the scratch list when it stops working for me. Right. Yeah, same. <laughs> and yeah. again, it's like, you know, it, it's not a scratch for what he's actually doing. It's just, 
I see what he's doing and he could be a lot better just if, if he sort of swapped his attitude out a little bit. So yeah. the, the, the easy grenade to jump on here and get us away from, from take land is Grubauer. Yeah. And it, you, it, you can share yeah. that with Varlamov if you want him to. He gets the most of the percentage though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think for somebody that they have attached their future to, he's got to do better. If yeah. he was just the backup, I think, yeah, he's he's a good backup. But I mean, we're we're talking about the future here, and I think the bar is higher. So I'm not sure he's I a agree. good backup right now. He's had nope. one yeah, good he's game and a bunch really. of eight hundreds or less. Yeah, you know, I broke it down the other day on the site, and you know, it's like a <clears throat> he was fantastic against Carolina. Uh, I think he was decent against Jersey. I think they won in spite of him against Ottawa. And he, <clears throat> the team was awful in Columbus, and so was he. I don't know. You know, it, it's hard to differentiate there. But, I, you know, I think he flat out lost the game in Vancouver. And, I think that's all fair. And then after, yep. uh, by the way, New Jersey has disappeared since the Avalanche played. Yeah, they sure have. Their goaltending kind of cratered, too. Bye-bye. Keith Kincaid wasn't sustainable. Who knew? <laughs> I'll I'll say my scratch goes to EJ. the The Vancouver game was not good. I I don't know, you know that playing with Nemitz didn't help. Yeah, I'll Nemitz take the other half of that. Yeah, <laughs> but he's it wasn't, a, and it was a mini, but it it wasn't the greatest week for him. Even though I think he's been he was good with Sam for up until this point. Right. I think he's had a good season. Like I saw some comments, like he he hasn't been good all year. I I don't agree with that. But this week, I think. I mean, it's easy to pick on Nemeth, right? Like it's just easy to give him the scratch because he looked like he hadn't played in a month when he only had a week off. Nemeth, but, you're talking about? Yeah, okay, but sorry, cut. oh yeah, Nemeth. It looked like he hadn't played in a month when he only had a week off. So it's easy to pick on him, but I think EJ needed to be better this week. And so he's my scratch. I think you're not alone in thinking that. Um, based on a quote I saw that Bednar was calling Ian Cole the team's best defender recently. Yeah, I, I think he was just in the moment talking about losing him and how it impacted the team. Because he hasn't been giving Cole the kind of minutes or just completely defaulting him to really believe that. Okay. But no it, doubt he likes Cole. And then he put Cole with Sam the next game instead of EJ. So I think he, maybe that was more of a shot at EJ than because he thinks Cole really is the best defenseman. I think yeah. it is because I think EJ's in the doghouse. Yeah, I think he is too. Um, I, I can't say that EJ has played well since. Certainly not in these two games, and honestly, I don't think he's even been that good since the first handful of games of the season. Yeah, he roared out with six assists, and then it's sort of right. not been anything since. But it's just kind of weird because he's going on all now. those adventures, and he's not getting adventures. points from it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, the Avs defense has struggled to produce a lot of points on the whole up until this Vancouver game anyway. But the the problem is, even a bad EJ is never coming out of the lineup. Oh, yeah. goodness, no. And, and, that's, and that's why you have to be harder on Nemeth. 
because Nemeth needs to be playing for his job every night. Especially with Barbario, he scores a goal against Minnesota. He wasn't that good against Calgary, but he wasn't the worst defenseman on the team. No. He was, and he was pretty Nemeth... bad. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't but, alone, but he was pretty bad. You know, Nemeth comes in and just lays a total friggin' egg in yeah. his game back, and you have to look at that, and especially... We bring Nemeth in to be a defensive D. His whole thing is to not give up goals at the sacrifice of even being able to clear the puck at times. Uh, and plus minus. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes into this game, and he's on the ice for four of the seven goals. Two of them he gets completely burned on. A third one he does a terrible job of clearing the front of the net. The why? Why are you here if you're not doing the one thing you're supposed to do? You left out all the weak clears. That's just par for the course, though. <laughs> Two point like, five. That's why he's got to play for his job every night, and then he's not doing his job. So, how you know when you have a Barbario, who again is a known quantity that sometimes can be shaky, but right now Nemeth isn't providing anything Barbario can't. So, hey, I don't disagree. It's just eat low-hanging fruit, I guess. Yeah, and I, Calvert. I mean, it, it's low-hanging for a reason. <laughs> yeah, I think Calvert. You know, if we're gonna, yeah, Calvert guys, could definitely Calvert. deserve one. Calvert yeah. hasn't had a good week either, and it, it's like the effort and the desires there, but just the puck skill. He he just he. He can't do what he thinks he can do. Yeah, and... Calvert's hands had a run in with Medusa, man. And, and that's um, exactly what Torch said about him. Yeah, that, that he doesn't he doesn't stick to what <laughs> what he can do. He thinks he can do more than what he can. But the other problem is that Bednar thinks he can do more than he can, and um, he's going to have to figure that out pretty quick. Okay, so. That was a lot of words about two games. And yes. th- like we said, there was a lot sure of hockey was. in those two games. They were but, eventful, though, at least. Yeah. <laughs> but we have another week to talk about. Um, so next week, the Avs play a Sunday evening game. It's one of three in the next four weeks because the NHL scheduler hates me personally. <laughs> they open up on Wednesday night. That's an 8 o'clock Mountain Home start for NBC Sports. And it's against Nashville, who just extended Pecker and A for two years and are on fire. Then on Friday, Avs travel to Winnipeg for a 6 o'clock mountain start with the Jets. That game will be on altitude 2, the Ocho. Finally on Sunday, Avs travel to Edmonton for a 7.30 mountain start against the Oilers, back on normal altitude. Six points in play. How many have you got? I have a tough time here because I want to say four, but I think they will bounce back despite some of the negative things that we've said, but, I mean, one home game, again, which is basically like a just a pit stop, and it's against Nashville. I'm going to disagree with you real game. quick. Um, that, it's hard to call it a pit stop when they've had the four-day break. Well, yeah, so they've been at home at least. It's, but... it's kind of a real home game. It's not like the one with Calgary earlier in the year. They've been in the garage swapping the engine then. Yeah. <laughs> 
but still, as far as, you know, getting into some kind of home rhythm, I, th- I think several games at home is more helpful than just one. But um, that one's going to be tough. I think they will play well in that game, but I think it's going to be tough. And then the road trip, Winnipeg is, has a very good record at home. I don't know what it is exactly, but they don't lose at home, basically. And then Edmonton, you don't know. They, they are playing well, and the Avs tend to not play so great up there. But even still, I'm going to be optimistic and say they find their way into four points this week. I I'm agree. I'm going to say five. Better. Yeah. I, I'm a little bit marginally more optimistic. I think Nashville is a team that they're going to come out and beat pretty handily. They always seem to play well against better competition, especially after a week one against some not as strong teams. And I think they will play Winnipeg well too. I don't see yes. I don't see a universe where they beat Winnipeg. Well, I, I just said I, they play well. And yet you're taking uh, yeah. five points. Yeah, I'm being super generous. I think Varley's gonna have a lights out game to get him to an overtime loss. I guess that's another question. What what is our prediction for the goaltending this week? Varley, Varley, Varley. And, Varley in all three. Yeah, triple <laughs> Varley for sure. Well, Benner has publicly said that he was not thrilled with Grubauer in the Vancouver game. So is that setting up for them to play Varley in every single game this yes. week? Yeah, but there's Definitely. two more back-to-backs this month. We may not see Grubauer until after Thanksgiving. American Thanksgiving. And, I, and whenever we see Grubauer again, he better be good. See, I, I think he's going to play know. against. I, th- I think he's going to play the um, Edmonton game and lose it. I, I think you I, know that's probably good because Varley's record in Edmonton is pretty awful. Yeah. Yeah, but do we? So really I think the Abs will the, win the first two and then get smoked by Edmonton. I just don't know about the gameplay we've seen out of Grubauer up against McJesus. Yeah, that's I a don't trust that to happen. at all. Yeah. I am going to be the downer this week. I think that Nashville is a pretty blatant schedule loss because it's the Rust game and Nashville are a very good team. Um, Winnipeg are having goalie troubles and Colorado play them well anyway, so I do think Colorado <coughs> take that one. And then Edmonton is a coin flip for me, so I'm going to call three points on this week. And fans yeah. are going to be really, really happy. <laughs> They're going to be thrilled, please, and just jumping from the rooftops. Enjoy. When do we get a homestand? We get, <laughs> Never. We get two home games next week. Oh, we, get, we don't get three in a row until mid-December. We get one that's a... Are that's you kidding a, me? We have one home game right after American Thanksgiving. That's the, back, that's the back half of a travel back-to-back. Then there's two home games the week after that. Again, one of those is the back half of a travel back-to-back. They finally have a four-game homestand the 15th, 17th, 19th, 21st of December. It's absurd. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. insanity. That... They travel from St. Louis to start it, and they end it and travel to Arizona, both back-to-back. And not even a single two days off in that span either. I mean, it's just insane. The schedule well, I mean... is really not kind to the Colorado Avalanche right now. But the flip I'm, side I, of that I mean, is I'm... a lot more home games in February and March. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that's going to probably pay off later in the season, I hope. Only hope. Um, Looks like March is... 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6... 6 road versus... What is that? 8 home? Yeah. It really doesn't. Like, I think the four-game stand is their longest home stand. 
They have eight home games in February versus six. So I think it's not that they have like a big homestand at any point. It's just that they kind yeah. of steadily play a couple more home games than road games. Right. So, and I guess they have they have one more four gamer at the end of December into January. Oh yeah, it's and broken I even, up the schedule. January and February, think, but that's broken up by the All Star two weeks. Yeah, that's a mess of its own too. The schedule's Bring bad. Back, it is bad. <laughs> I don't think seven, eight game homestands are good either. Like yeah. a, good, a good four game, maybe five yeah. is good, but you don't want to stay too long either. No, but I mean, it's like this: these one game and two game homestands are for the what birds. Is this? Yeah. February 22nd, so you play Chicago on the road at 5.30, and then you travel to Nashville for a back-to-back that you play at 3.30. Ew. What is Sounds that? Like uh, and, um, are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing, which is a Coyotes logo on the Nashville game? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> <I'm not laughs> <saying> that. <laughs> so, um, NHL.com is shit. Can confirm. <laughs> but, yeah, the this, this schedule's very, very cruel to the Colorado Avalanche. I mean, I'm even looking at February and seeing them go from the Islanders afternoon back to back to Boston in the afternoon home yeah. versus Toronto and then back to Winnipeg and then back home That's for three just games. Totally brutal, man. I mean, so who, so, who looked at this schedule and like approved it for the app? And while we're bitching, let's just talk about the all-star week because they play on January 23rd and then they're off until February 2nd. Yeah. Wow. It's all it's You're... all-star break plus the bye, but I think every team is doing that, either taking the bye yeah. before or after. Is that true? That... Because, yeah, because they didn't like how the byes were all spread out. I mean, like, add four teams... more days to that, and you could go to the friggin' Olympics. <laughs> but, I mean, you're talking about having a lot of rust to shake off after a four-day break. This is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine days off. Nine. Nine. That's a lot. Um, I mean, you just gotta hope that whoever we're playing that day is is, is in the same boat, which it looks like it's probably at least a possibility. Probably, I uh, think it probably will be. Oh, well, Vancouver. just make sure to send half our team to the All Star break, and we'll be set. Yeah, because I think will not, we get not more than was... one All Star? How can you not send Miko and Mac together? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's right. it's the NHL. I, I okay, if Miko's still like top and scoring it's gonna be tough but i mean this is the nhl too like they gotta have, I, have patrick kane there you know and other bullshit like that i'm fine with that I, I hope none of them make it so yes vancouver will be in the same situation as the avalanche going into that game which means that game is going to suck <laughs> it's gonna be so bad it's gonna be like early october all over again It'll be young legs. It's going to look just like this last one looked. Yeah. <laughs> Except more tired because they're going to get halfway through and go, oh my god. I forgot how fast this game is. But anyway, I, I hate to be the the downer on, on this week's predictions, but I just don't see this ending well. I really don't. I think it's going to be a tough week. Uh, we'll, we'll see what this team has, I think. No, this is the week they... that securely puts them in the playoffs. I'm confident. All right. I wanted to be contrarian and pick zero points, but I just can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, even if it does end up being zero points, you know where you can find out? I, I guess not. I'll have to tell you. You can find out right here 
Um, you can check out the podcast on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash burgundyradio or on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com slash burgundyradio. We post it every week to burgundyrainbow.com. You can catch it in iTunes. You can catch us in your favorite RSS feed catcher. You can join us to chat about everything going on in the Burgundy Rainbow Discord, which you can find on burgundyrainbow.com. Link along the top bar. And if there's anything else to say, I can't remember what it was. So keep your head up and enjoy those outside interests that I hope you have. Until Wednesday, and we'll see you next week for a Monday night, Tuesday morning show. Well, I mean, the lady at the nobody, store nobody in North going, Carolina cares about the abs. Yeah, the lady at the store last week was, was going on about, like, she doesn't get to watch your favorite shows and blah, blah, blah. She's like one of those people you go through the line and she's like still going. She get to watch your shows. She doesn't get to watch WWE. And then she's talking about the abs. And I was like, oh. I said, you're an abs fan, huh? And she's like, I got to turn this off. She's like, Oh yeah, of course. She's like, don't tell me you're you're red, because I was like, and about that, and she's like, you're gonna tell me you're Red Wings fan. Oh no, you're gonna tell me you're a Boston fan. I'm like, hold on, lady, <laughs> calm down. I was like, I write for an Avalanche website. Here, there's a business card. I do my best to be a walking billboard, but. <laughs>